0: everybody I'm Zach from Death Comes Lifting and this is Schuler from Death Drive 90.5 and today we are talking to a bad motherfucker from Celestial Sanctuary his name is Tom and we're gonna grill about metal about cuisine in the UK and just whatever else we can possibly think of that he'll answer because I know he will because he's a nice
1: guy. We're gonna talk about playing footy on the pitch Right. Um, we're going to talk about fucking in it and and, and uh, all these other things that I see on the internet. I'm going to make him say all that shit. I mean, we're going to be the peak fucking obnoxious boxed in Americans. Uh, and he'll never want to talk to us again. And we're I'm stoked. Gonna,
0: I'm excited. Where the best fish and chips is in his, in his part of town. Uh,
1: fish and chips. Uh, something have been like that. Yeah. And I am stoked to talk about death metal this morning while chips. I still got coffee and caffeine fucking surging through my veins
0: me too man me too we got we got uh celestial sanctuary thomas from celestial sanctuary coming on he's the he's the genius behind the machine and that new record we're lucky enough to have listened to it early rips
1: yes because yes. of our our deep industry connections
0: deep industry connections yeah we <laughs> had to had to crack an ancient code for that but it, it's worth it and uh even uh Samantha Mobley from the last episode we did she even was praising it and it, it's worthy it's worthy of that praise I have to say
1: what I was gonna say when we get him on be like hey man welcome this is actually this, your second appearance on the Lips and Riffs podcast you've been plugged already by uh, somebody else who just put out a fucking killer death metal record
0: exactly and uh he's he seems real cool man he's been messaging me he's like excited to do it so that's always awesome. It is awesome coming at us from the UK whereabouts do you know think cambridge don't quote me on that we'll ask we're gonna get him we're gonna get him to tell us all about
1: the uk and uk death metal and specifically like english terms like british terms that motherfuckers in the u.s aren't gonna get one of which is in a song title on the upcoming celestial sanctuary record i'm definitely gonna
0: get him to talk about that is that is that a thing I might have overlooked that, but now that I'm looking through the track track list, I think I know is what that you're that that first track. I was like, "Is this a typo?" There's yeah. what
1: does this mean? Are you have
0: you heard that term before? No, I've not heard that term before.
1: All right, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's like a stupid person. Apparently, is it? Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Is this is this supposed to like?" I I at first I thought it was a typo, and then I googled it, and I was like, "Oh, wait a second. There's more going on here." That's and,
0: British slang right man we're gonna we're gonna get him to explain it to our dumb ass i can't wait i love all things british uk i want to me too i, I have
1: this i have this fascination with bovril or bob bovril i don't know how they say it Do you know what that is no it's like as i understand it it's like meat juice meat juice fuck yeah man you hey, buy it
0: like in a can
1: yeah it's like a jar right yeah. and i think you like you like mix it with some other shit and like melt it like water i think and then it's like it's i I guess it's kind of like a really hearty broth or something but apparently they like put that shit in thermoses and like drink it hot at like cold weather sports events or something i'm gonna ask him about that and he's gonna be like what the fuck are you talking
0: about a bunch of heavy metal hard motherfuckers over there that's why That is,
1: man that's that's definitely some shit that i don't think that i could fuck with a hearty
0: broth let's just get him to talk about the most metal cuisine in england yeah there's a lot of that
1: we're going to totally like fucking, every time we bring somebody on here who's not American, all we're going to end up doing is just like fetishizing their country for an hour while we talk really? to them about like for stupid sure. fucking stereotypes that Americans <laughs> have about where they live. Uh, have you
0: ever been to the UK? I have, man. I, uh, <laughs> when, I was in,
1: when I was in high school, um, my, oh man, this is going to be fun for, for the listeners. I yeah. was big into theater in high school. Nice. And uh, my, my acting troupe, my thespian troupe got invited to perform at the American High School Theater Festival, which was part of the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, we went I there have. for like two weeks. We were in Edinburgh for like two weeks and we were in London for like two nights the day before. And I have not been back since, but we had a whole lot of fun there. Dude, one of the things that I loved most about it was going to an HMV in London Which like I'd never, I think they have them in Canada still, but it's like the way that I saw it back then, and this was like 1999 or 2000 or something. I was like, man, this is like the the UK equivalent of like a massive Tower Records. Um, Oh, sweet! But I remember they had they had an entire black and death metal section, and that was the first time that I'd seen something like that in a record store, and I spent every fucking dime of money that i brought with me that was supposed to go to like food and like getting souvenirs for my family and shit i was like no man i'm about to buy like this is the whole emperor discography right here in front of me and i'm buying this shit did you take it back I bought it and and I got home and I got in trouble, but like I was supposed to go over there and get like souvenirs for my sister and shit, but instead I bought like a bunch of black metal records, (laughs) I I bought like this Scottish like dagger, like (laughs) this thing that you're supposed to keep in your boot, and I bought a mace. I love Uh, it. Yeah, and this was was pre-9-11, so you could just like waltz through airport security with like medieval weaponry, and they were just like, yeah, fucking whatever, man. Good old days. Yeah, man. Back when you could carry a mace on a plane, like God
0: intended. You you did that. I'm glad, man. It makes me like people, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> this ups your street cred. But I'm super. interested like Feel like it. Feel like in, it probably Your theater days, honestly.
1: We uh yeah, that was uh That's that was great. that was my thing that I did when I was a kid. That was fortunately funny, without without theater. I never would have um, stolen a hypocrisy CD that was left behind in the theater teacher's office by one mr patrick bruss of crypticus um and so without that man my my death metal experience would be far more limited
0: so were you an actor
1: yeah i did acting i did uh and and i did some backstage stuff too
0: i could see you being like stage crew hardcore but that's cool that you did acting it was it was certainly a thing that's funny as fuck man would you do you do you ever think about doing it like trying to continue to do it Oh god no. No, no. I can no, see no. you doing it, man. I can see you being a character actor. We're going to make it a thing in the Death Comes Lifting Universe and we have video productions you need to be in.
1: I mean, if you throw if you if you throw it at me, I'll do my best to to rise to the occasion, but I quickly found out after high school that that was not for me. I thought maybe I was going to continue to pursue it at college and I got to college and was just like, "Nah, this is not yeah. this is not the scene that I want to be part of."
0: The scene's a little whack probably, I would imagine it's was it was,
1: it was pretty whack where I was, but, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of fucking theater people at universities all over the country and all over the world who are cool as shit. I just, uh, wasn't, wasn't interested in it anymore. Got the, got the music bug, got out of
0: the acting bug. That's interesting. I'm glad I just kind of dug into your backstory there a little bit on the podcast, just for, yeah, we can, uh, we, we can, We can
1: have like continuous like little chapters of my autobiography that I'll narrate at the beginning of these episodes and people will be like oh great here comes this fucking bullshit again when can they get to the good stuff. Yeah, Carcass I guess both of them are essential death metal listening but also bands who really pioneered other genres as well.
0: True.
1: If you want to talk about just like a straightforward death metal band I would probably say cancer. Okay. Um Just because of those those first two records specifically um just hugely influential and up until recently relatively hard to get a hold of um but those first two records were i mean just listen to fucking listen to celestial sanctuary like there's elements of cancer there listen to a number of prominent uk bands who are part of the death metal underground right now and you're going to see elements of cancer and one of the cool things about cancer is that it's super listenable
0: yeah
1: um those, those first two records. The third record is really good too. Um, after that, they kind of went in a little bit more experimental direction. There were like some industrial elements and shit like that. So we don't really pay attention to that. Like more power to them if they did that and they were happy with it, that's cool. But they did come back a few years ago uh, with a new record called Shadow Gripped and that shit fucking rocked. Um, so yeah, cancer are definitely a legendary UK act. I'll be interested though. To talk to somebody who's grown up over yeah. there and see sort of where, what that hierarchy is for them, because I'm sure that sure. as an as an export or for us as an import, it's going to be seen in sort of a totally different light. You know, I'm sure that we give a lot of importance to a lot of bands, maybe that they are aware of that are over there, but that they don't give a shit about, or vice versa. Uh, kind of like talking with uh, Emil um, from Cryptic Hatred from Finland um that dude was i was like let me talk to you about my favorite finnish death metal bands and he was like who <laughs> you know what i mean like so it's interesting to me to see how we sort of how the celebrity or how the magnitude of a certain band's popularity kind of distorts when they become an import i'll be interested to hear about
0: that yeah definitely from their point of view it's different i um do, do you know Ab- abduction he's a solo black metal artist i had him on just my uh solo podcast uh um, probably a few months back now and he's awesome that he was talking that we got into a lot of like metal history and because he's from the UK I should say. um and apparently he or at least him he said it was a lot more rooted in like black metal and like the whole European scene over there like death metal wasn't as big for him as black metal black metal was but uh like the UK has a really specific flavor of black metal it's all like Tolkien-esque and shit it's not like you know Satanic vampires. Yeah, the um, landscape and stuff. It's pretty sweet.
1: Tolkien shit and then like the Arthurian legends. Uh, yeah. That was really. I, so, like, I'm a huge. If we're talking about UK, like extreme metal acts that aren't necessarily death metal. Right. I, and you know this already. I'm a fucking massive Cradle of Filth fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of the more fun elements of early Cradle of Filth sort of link back to Arthurian legend. And that's interesting to me. I'm, I'm curious about how maybe that sort of is part of the the folklore landscape in extreme metal in the UK right now. Dude, give me one second, I gotta grab a cup
0: of water, I forgot. Okay, man. While Shuler is gone, I'm just gonna try to find what band specifically that Abduction recommended to me about the UK black metal scene. I think it has something to do with like Leviathan, but it's not Leviathan. I'm wasting everybody's time right now. You're very welcome. Um, tower, maybe. I'm an idiot. Are you just talking to yourself? Are you talking to talking the people? To myself. Yeah.
1: I was just babbling. You gotta talk to the people, man. You gotta keep them you gotta keep something
0: going. You gotta keep the feed live. You gotta keep them engaged, man. Oh no, it's gonna be a hard it's gonna be a hard podcast to top the last one, but I'm ready for this.
1: I think, so. yeah, I know. Our our last one was quite uh, engaging. I think that was sick. I know. I sent him a message after. and was like, "Thank you so much for talking to us." And I, I got left on red, so <laughs> I don't know how it went. I think it went well. I think he's just like I think it. it I, I think it did too. I think it did too. He's a fun guy. I absolutely love that band. And I can't tell you how fucking stoked I am to know that we're getting a new record from them this year. Dude, that'll be that'll be a
0: highlight for sure. God. Well, yeah, we um, forgot about. The obvious ones, Bolt Thrower, right from England.
1: Oh fuck me! How could I not think about Bolt you know, Thrower? Thinking, I, yeah, yeah. I put them above cancer for sure. Like it, cancer isn't, fucking rips.
0: Is it industrial uh, Sanctuary a Bolt Thrower song?
1: It very well, maybe. I feel called out right now. I feel like I should know this.
0: I feel like I just, I just hit you up. I just hit you up.
1: I'm gonna have to go to the
0: old. You can hear me type it. I'm I'm typing. I think it is. So obviously, that's fucking inspiration. They sound a lot like Bolt Thrower, which yes, I guess kind everybody sounds a little bit like Bolt Thrower.
1: It is. It is a song on the Fourth Crusade. There you and go. If, if Rocco Martone from Chain to the Dead is listening to this right now, he's like, you fucking punks. How could you not know this? That's his favorite Bolt Thrower record.
0: Yeah, he's he's uh, he's hating on us hardcore. But what, What's what's your favorite Bolt Thrower record, Zach? Probably, um, you know, I have, to, I have to probably say Realms of Chaos. Really? Interesting. Yeah, probably of, that was the first one I've heard. Yeah, so with me.
1: that record gets a whole lot of love. The The classic ones get so much love. And I saw this morning um, one of the dudes, or fuck, I don't know, who, whoever runs the Undeath uh, Twitter account posted that they were listening to uh, Those Once Loyal. Okay. And Those Once Loyal is my favorite bolt thrower record.
0: I mean, they're all awesome in my opinion. Oh yeah, they
1: all, absolutely. Uh, And like, if I, I, I'll lose, I'll lose um, credit for this probably if I haven't lost all credit already, but like in battle, there is no law is easily my least favorite bolt thrower record.
0: I understand for sure.
1: My most favorite bolt thrower record is their final record. And that is something that I think a lot of times with, especially with legacy acts like that. More people tend to favor their earlier stuff, you know, maybe when they were a little bit more fresh in the game, maybe when they were a little bit more inspired. But like, right. the the story goes, Bolt Thrower wrote Those Once Loyal, recorded the album, put the album out, went about their lives, and then went to work steady trying to like record a follow-up or write a follow-up to that. And they were just like, we can't top that record. There's nothing... What can we do after that really
2: I never knew that. yeah
1: yeah that's now that i as i understand it and that might have been you know amplified in the press or maybe distorted in one way or another but as i understand it we got no bolt through our record after that until martin kerns died we got no bolt through our record after that specifically because they they tried to follow it and they just weren't happy with the shit that they were writing of course now we get uh carl back in memoriam which i think is definitely a worthy successor to the bolt thrower legacy. A lot of the same flavor, a lot of the same kind of style to that. Definitely a lot of the same lyrical material. Sure. Um, but those ones loyal, man, uh, especially that opening, those opening two tracks, it's just fuck it, it's the heaviest, catchiest shit bolt thrower's done. And I think a lot of times when we talk about bolt thrower influence in modern bands, sort of an underground death metal and also like bigger acts that, you know, like fucking Frozen Soul, who just put out a record on Century Media. True. Sure. Um, I think a lot of that influence from both Thrower comes from their later sort of more refined
0: material. It's a good observation. I'm kind of slept on, on the, on the newer material I'll have to dig into it. You got to check that shit out. Check it. Have you checked out *Memorian*? No.
1: Oh man. You got to hear oh, that shit. No. It's Really good. It's, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. Um, the, the first record was good. The second record felt a little bit rushed and the, the production was not that great on it the third record that they put out in 2019 Requiem for Mankind that was a whole lot of fun and they got another one coming out uh, in the next like couple of months i think i think it's i think it's march i'm not really Pretty sure shit. that's awesome uh, yeah it's quality shit man if you if you like bolt thrower especially if you like that mid era to late bolt thrower you're going to fucking oh, love this band
0: i love bolt thrower i love carcass i love all all uk death metal well, I guess Carcass is a little bit more grind, but I kind of have like ADD a little bit, so I kind of like, like the shorter songs yeah, and stuff, you know. We
1: got we got two quality straightforward death metal records from Carcass. I I, yeah. I would argue that Symphonies is just a straightforward death metal record and then necroticism is a straightforward death it metal is, record.
0: Very much. Very much. Well, I, let's 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 hear what Tom has to say about this because he's knocking on the um, crib door. Come
1: on in, my dude. Well, yeah mate right
0: Tall, tall, and there he is there he is hello hello friend hello
2: mate you?
0: can you can you so,
1: yeah we can are hear, hear right? you and yeah. look this is what's gonna happen tom i'm yeah. really sorry about that we're probably gonna fetishize your culture the entire hour that you and us <laughs> talk i hope that's okay with you man i that's hope you don't absolutely... feel bad about that
3: yeah that's all right whoever said hello mate when i come on that was really good
1: thank you i try really hard it's been like 20 (laughs) something years since i've been there but i did i you know i did my best i'm shuler man i've got a uh radio show called death drive 90.5 and uh i am here with mr zach belante of uh death comes lifting who you've been talking to we are stoked to meet you man stoked to talk
0: to you today
3: yeah i'm stoked to speak to both of you guys i mean I i followed both of you on instagram for for a little while now so it's it's cool putting like faces to the names
0: of course, man. That's so. That's so gratifying to hear. We honestly think that nobody listens to this shit. So it's, really, it, it's really cool to hear that someone that uh, we admire, whose music is so awesome, that actually likes us. So, man, we're, we're stoked to have you.
1: Of course. Oh now God. that we say that, he's like, "Fuck, I'm wasting my time." Don't yeah,
0: no, he's <laughs> fucking lame now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you we walked into like the lion's den, bro. Because we were just talking. Um, obviously about the, the uk we were talking about the classic death metal black metal axe and everything over there and the the whole culture so we want we would like to get your take on it you know from someone over there who is like the essential extreme metal uk axe
3: uh well i'd probably say i mean without a doubt like napalm death are like the extreme metal kings yeah. yes. i mean you got venom venom as well i mean that was i never really listened we didn't to talk about thing. venom yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i'd say like napalm death and bolt thrower like without a doubt like top tier god level
0: all right so we were yeah we were pretty much on the money there yeah yeah uh, we were talking about that we also brought up carcass though
1: mm. about carcass uh cancer a little bit Are you into cancer at all
3: yeah yeah right cancer i mean i only i've only really sort of Listen to like one or two of their albums but they are never yeah. they've never been like massive for me sort of thing but yeah carcass like Heartwork. i don't i can't believe i didn't mention them just then like there, that's probably that's the same way i albums. felt about
1: the same way i felt about bolt thrower earlier he was exactly like who's the essential ba- the, the essential death metal band and i was like well fucking carcass and then for yeah. some reason bolt thrower just eluded me yeah but one of the things that i think is really interesting about international acts and this is something that we've discussed with other people on the show who are from places other than america um there's this weird sort of interesting distortion that seems to take place sometimes when a band becomes an export and so it's interesting for me like talking to a band from finland and I'm, i'm i'm like man you know Demolich and uh, and uh, convulse and these cl- and demigod and these classic bands like that. And then I start talking about melodic death metal bands that are a little more modern there, like Insomnium, uh, Wolfheart. And the dude that we were talking to was just like, Yeah, I don't know who any of those people are.
3: Oh shit, um, really.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, and it, which is interesting to me, you know, because a lot of a lot of the stuff that he gravitated towards was international shit for him, in- imports for him, you know, bands like Campbell yeah, Corpse from the US. Um, so like, what are, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about how heavier music sort of figured into the way that you got into writing heavier music. Um, maybe bands that are from other countries, other bands from the UK that you grew up being super into. Just tell us who you are musically, man, because we, we've listened to your output. and Now we want to know what the influences are.
3: Yeah. So basically I've been like playing in punk and hardcore bands since like the early, to mid-2000s and like really that is how i got into like the extreme side of things like we have a we had a tv channel here called like kerrang and SCUS. and that was like all your like mainstream stuff so like for a while like slipknot was like the heaviest thing ever and obviously we had cradle of filth and cradle of yes. filth were always like a pretty huge deal around here
1: um, i love cradle of filth man
3: yeah well um danny he lives like he lives in the same county as me he lives like 20 minutes down the road from me yeah, so the they, they were like, like sort the of, the big, did I bump into him at the store? Yeah. Yeah, just sitting him down in the supermarket, down the vegetable aisle.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's like,
1: he's like looking at, I can see like Danny Filth in the fucking produce section, like in the vegetable aisle, looking at the grapefruit and being like, <laughs> it's not dark enough, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: that accent was spot on again. <laughs> I
2: thought um, he was right.
1: So, so yeah, yeah.
3: So, so I got like into that's how I got into like music, and then so then like a friend of mine like so I guess this is probably like the same sort of like path that most people take. It's always like your friends, like older brother or sister, shows you like a CD of something, and there's this band from the UK called Stamping Ground who yeah, um, they're like when I heard that like honestly it just like blew my mind, and then that was my pathway into like hardcore and like the more extreme like underground sort of scenes as it were um but yeah like coming up through like metal and hardcore that our scene over here was very much like the hardcore bands and the metal bands all played together because it's quite a small country so there's like a limited amount of shows like you play a show in London and the bill is like ridiculously mixed um so you just sort of like discover bands that way and you know your, your taste sort of evolves from there
1: for sure. At, at, like I remember, I remember reading about Stamping Ground. It was either Terrorizer or BWBK, but this was in like 2001, 2002. Yeah. Um, when I think that they were kind of riding high on, on the, the highest level of international exposure that they had at the time. But yeah, it is, it is sort of interesting to look at um, the blend of of metal and hardcore and other sort of more extreme forms of music that sort of end up having to be pushed together in a small scene like that do you think yeah, that do you think that a lot of the other uk bands who are bigger right now or maybe influenced in that way venom prison for instance is one that i think of who clearly have a whole lot of influences from different places
3: hundred uh, percent i mean i've i've known ash from uh, venom prison for for years and like funnily enough like ah, uh, Hardcore bands used to play together like all the time, like we actually toured together. So they're very much like a similar sort of like uh product of their environment as we are. And I know Larissa, she was in hardcore bands as well. So I think that, that definitely, that definitely like influences the way that bands develop and stuff, especially with like the newer death metal bands coming up at the moment, like everyone I speak to, they've all sort of, they've been around that same, scene of playing in hardcore and like punk shows and stuff like that
1: which is cool do you do you feel like there's i don't know like here growing up here is you know the us is geographically a very large country and i think Mm -hmm. because of my one of the things that we talk about on the show sometimes is my um really with me being the old man uh how there's sort of been like a the the prevalence of the internet as the way that people discover and create music has sort of led to i don't want to say the eradication but definitely like the downplaying of local scenes in america where like back in like the 90s back in like the 80s like you could tell that a band were from dallas you could tell that a band from new york you could tell that a band were from la or san francisco or the bay area or whatever and we don't so much have that anymore and then another Aspect of of that geographic spread is just sort of the issue of um, of a kind of division between styles, right? Like there's not there wasn't a whole lot of blending initially, and I talk I talk about this like I was there for it, but you know I'm not that old, and I also I grew up in you know the middle of the fucking woods in Arkansas, so it's not like I was going to a lot of shows growing up, but the narrative in this. You know in American heavy music's history is that there was a pretty steep divide um, between the more punk influenced area and the metal influenced area so it's cool to see sort of that camaraderie being more a part of your entire scene just based on geography alone
3: yeah I mean that's the thing isn't it it's like you know you like I don't know like where I live I live like an hour away from London but like back then there'd be like shows happening in like every single town, like when we were first together, but now it is like, I don't know, a tour comes over here and it's like, they'll play like four dates. Yeah. And the the local scenes, scenes do seem to have sort of like dissolved away a little bit, but yeah, at the same time, I think it makes England, or well, all of the UK feel like a much smaller place and you, you've got like friends all over the place.
1: Which, yeah, for sure. Yeah what so what's the you you know when you say shows there you know they'll come and they'll play three or four dates or whatever a lot of times those are attached to festivals obviously that has not been the case for the last year (laughs) right yeah um how's how's life man how's everything going there you know you can talk, talk talk a little bit about being a musician in all of this but also just like a dude trying to stay alive like what uh what are some of the uk changes that covid has brought on for you
3: uh, well, I, d- I mean, I don't know what it's like been like over there for you guys, but over here we've been having like lockdowns. I don't know if you've heard about them.
1: Just just what I see on social media. I know a lot of people are unhappy. Um, yeah, but that's about it. I
3: right. mean, like at, at the start, we were kind of lucky because like, I don't know, I guess when you think of like the UK, you think of grey and like horrible weather. But at the start of our first lockdown, like it was so like sunny. Like, I didn't really care that, like, I was out of work and stuff like that. And I think that was the general consensus. But after probably about four or five weeks, I think, like, everyone started to get, like, really fed up. And I'm talking about, like, last April. So it's sort of like, people are really fucking fed up now. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear then.
1: You swear swear all day, my dude. (laughs) Unfiltered, unedited, uncensored. Can I say cunt?
0: (laughs) I was just going to say. My I favorite think that's the thing about the British language is the the casual use of the word "cunt" that we don't get away with over here. You know, you guys <laughs> are lucky as fuck.
3: Yeah, I that think it's is... only us in Australia that can get away with it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's
1: the uh, well, that's the that's the second appearance of the word "cunt" on this show. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I got to say,
3: like when you guys say that word like it does sound a lot worse in your accent
1: it does, well because like we've been we've or been him. raised it's like it's been yeah. imbued with evil <laughs> over here right like when you say it people are like what you said what <laughs> um like you know as a grown man who's been cursing for a very very long time i still like sort of bristle whenever i mm. think of it but like <laughs> sam uh from frozen soul who was a, a guest on the show recently uh, was in a band called Thundercut when she was younger. <laughs> so this is the second time. This is the second <laughs> time it's reared its its beautiful, lovely head over here. Yeah. Well, I'm and happy. It's to also to your, your it.
0: second mention on the show because Sam uh, gave your record a ton of praise when she said she uh, got to listen to an early oh, really? promo of it. Yeah, she said it, it fucking rips. And then we shortly after got a promo of it from our buddies at Redefining Darkness, and uh, her theory was proven correct. Your record, does oh, amazing. Rip yeah that's real
3: nice to hear yeah i speak to sam like every so often i mean like she got in touch like when we were putting out demos so like yeah while i was sort of like just duplicating the demos at home and like writing on them and she like got in touch then so i sent her one of them that must have been what was obviously last year because we're only into january aren't we but right yeah Uh, i I like sam like i rate sam i rate frozen soul like that record's
1: fucking killer obviously it is it's super fun so catchy and so heavy Uh, and that's I think is in that, that is very much a similar way that I would, is, you know, it's not necessarily that it sounds the exact same, but there are a lot of similarities regarding the heaviness and the catchiness element um, with your band. Uh, yeah. So tell us sort of a little bit of, you know, we, we got your hardcore roots and we sort of know where you're coming from originally, but where did the, what was the genesis of this project? Like, is this your main project now? Sort of what are you trying to accomplish um, with Celestial Sanctuary?
3: So really like up in, I mean, after, after the whole hardcore thing, I was playing in a thrash band for like, well, it's more of a death thrash thing. It's sort of like
1: Demolition Hammer sort of thing. Oh um, man, if, you're, if that's still a band, you should fucking talk to Thomas from Redefining Darkness about that shit because he loves that kind of shit.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll slip that under his door. Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah,
3: so for, uh, I don't know, like death metal is something that has like has had like a real good like upward trajectory in the last few years. And like with the revival of like the whole, I don't know what they're calling it, like the new wave of old school death metal. Here sure. are more bands like that. I think like, you know, like five, or six years ago, you hear a band like that and be like, oh, fuck, it'd be cool to do something like that. So that's kind of where like the idea for this sort of like manifested, I guess you could say. Um, and then as I was playing with my other band, I sort of wasn't getting as much fulfillment out of it i guess you could say i mean like i don't know it's hard when you're writing to just sort of dilute everything down by wanting to put like all the influences in so i just sort of thought like i want to do something that's just like more direct like that is just like pure death metal um and yeah the the sort of mission statement behind it all i guess is just that you know i say about this like upward trajectory of death metal that that's not the case In the UK like we've had the same death metal bands playing for like years like you know you go to a show it's like the same four bands playing like every show and it I'm not going to sit here and like slate like the whole country's output of death metal yeah yeah but you know like it just gets boring and it it needed a bit of a refresh and I think as well like the identity of a lot of like death metal bands over here over the past few years has been very much dated it i don't know like i say, like i don't want to slate everyone but that kind of the b movie sort of like horror thing it gets a bit sort of like boring after a while if you want to say it but so it's just sort of like i wanted to do something different from that um yeah. and you know take an influence from like them great death metal bands from the uk back in the day but putting our own sound into it and just bringing it up to the modern day
1: awesome and we one of the things that we talked about recently with with another guest uh jimmy from from jungle rot i don't know if you're familiar with them they're Mm -hmm. pretty big death metal band here um we talked a lot about the evolution of the lyrical process in that band going from the sort of b-movie slasher type stuff that was ubiquitous in the 80s and that that very much is still part of that revival now with newer bands right going from that to maybe having some other things that they wanted to say or maybe trying to get this music to a place where it can address something a little bit more socially relevant Mm -hmm. um jungle rod is very much a band who's you know especially for the last like four records has been taking surprisingly polarizing socio-political stances in a genre that's not necessarily always attached to that a little no, of oftentimes of course. is more attached to fantasy um or horror or gore or things like that um what's the uh what's your your lyrical take on death metal you say you're trying to bring something new to it do something a little bit different what do you what do you think about when you write
3: uh so it's more sort of like internal struggles like you know death metal is like an escape obviously. And I think obviously people will interpret an escape in many different ways, whether it's like a release or what have you, but yeah. So when, when I'm writing the lyrics, like it's very much like about internal struggle, there are like social political, like undertones to it. I mean, like the whole album is, is a concept about like a soul that is becoming sentient and realizing that like they're, suffering is uh what's the word it's their destiny basically and there's no escape from that and i mean you can spin any narrative you want from that whether you're you think that's sort of like about human trafficking slavery um like mass factory farming or whatever so there are like undertones of that in there as well
0: that's awesome man i like how abstract and kind of open-ended it feels like you can you can project whatever you want onto onto that story you know whether you want to take it as real as like human slavery or whatever or factory farming or just like the the um, metaphysical aspect of, of an actual soul and like you know the whole Lovecraftian like look to the to the record I think it's just really different than the really attractive and at the same time it's just super catchy and kind of meat and potatoes death metal, <laughs>
3: and, you know? yeah, good man well thank you very much and that that is the idea like for it to be meat and potatoes death metal for sure That's awesome. like just fucking knuckle dragging
1: stuff <laughs> it's what we like yeah. with um with the zach mentioned the cover um pretty big departure from the demos cover which I thought I'll be on like the thing that attracted me to that first two song EP like the first Mm -hmm. thing that I noticed about it was the cover because it was so radically different (laughs) um, than a lot of the other stuff that we that we see specifically with bands who are putting out something newer like a promo or an EP or something like that. Um, How much does the does the visual side of things figure into the creation of this music for you? That's always an interesting thing to talk about a musician with.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big deal to me. Like, I'm a I'm a graphic designer like by day. Oh, sweet, cool man. Um, so like the visual side of things like is very very like important to me. Um, and as well like you mentioned the demo like you know making it that like horrible like yellow and orange combination like that that was kind of the idea that you know like you go on yep. Bandcamp and you see like a hundred demos like a lot of them are black and white and I just thought like well, I just want something that like really like actually stands out and you know could be photocopied onto some like orange paper (laughs) or
1: whatever. right but um well yeah and it looks i mean it's it's definitely eye-catching and i think that that's sort of i've gotten to a point where like the i I say i've gotten to a point i've been at this point for a very long time like i'm i primarily collect and, and digest music physically right i buy albums i buy cds i buy tapes um the way like the color of a record, the appearance of a record, totally, I can't think of a better word than colors, the way that I hear the songs, too, you know, yeah. um, one of the things that I, I'm a huge Children of Bodum fan, um, and when Alexi Laiho died not too long ago, I remember going back and listening to those first several records, and sort of looking at how each one had like a different color uh, that sort of went with it and how that totally affected the way that I heard those songs. And same thing with Black Dahlia Murder, who's another band that I'm a huge fan of. Like these last yeah. several records have, have all sort of had like this unique uh, color scheme that's gone with the music and that has, that infuses the songs with a certain kind of feeling for me. Um, and the, the Salacial Sanctuary demo, I think very much the fact that it was this alarming sort of color combination <laughs> definitely like colored the way that I heard the music which I, I think is a, a pretty cool thing to still be able to do right and yeah, like you 100%. said in an era where in an era where band camp you know you can get on Bandcamp and see hundreds literally yeah. hundreds of, of two song death metal demos or whatever mm-hmm. I feel like the the visual association is something that's definitely working in your favor with that demo but it's also cool to find out that like that's an intentional thing that you did
3: yeah 100% I mean as well like I don't like people talk a lot about like synthesizer that's when like you see colors yeah. when you listen and i think like you know thinking about it i think i probably have that as well um because yeah. i definitely i don't know like i'll be writing a riff and if something's sounding a bit like murky i'm like well that's brown obviously and then like you just lift it out with something orange <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly exactly
0: Well, yeah. even um looking through the uh the pre-orders available on uh redefining darkness and on your Bandcamp the uh how they did the vinyls too even even uh goes and coincides with the album artwork and everything like that or do you have any any say or input on that
3: yeah, yeah. like so i've been collecting records for like years now yeah and right. uh they look of sick been, as thank you thank you very yeah. much um but yeah so almost like getting getting handed the catalog by thomas and saying like pick out some color variants i was like oh fuck yeah like this is, <laughs> this is what i've been waiting for for so long yeah, So yeah like and and one of my favorite things is like when the disc sort of like matches the colors on on the sleeve so that that was like very much like what what we were trying to do and then church Road, they've got like a special exclusive for their like subscribers thing and i'm i'm pretty sure that they they went down the same route there because they picked that but i was like yeah that's sick too that's awesome what's
0: uh what's your experience been like with uh redefining darkness uh, so far
3: amazing i mean so like playing playing for years like i've i've dealt with a lot of dodgy labels and you know people that sort of don't really they don't really care they just like they'll just take your music and put it out and then not send you your stuff so to speak but I mean, with Thomas, Sight, it's been the polar opposite of that. I mean, from the start, he was so enthusiastic. I mean, he obviously he re-released the demo we put out uh, at the end of 2019, so he re-released it last year, and essentially from that point on, he's been so enthusiastic. Like, he's obviously big in the game. He knows what he's talking about. So having him like sort of guide us as well and saying like. I don't know like he even like helped us like with the mixing and getting it mastered um
0: he's the man for sure
3: yeah definitely real good guy like i can't sing his praises enough to be honest but yeah i mean you know i could kind of want to credit like how good the album sounds like to him because you know i sent him the first mix and i listen to that now and i think like oh fuck what are we thinking <laughs> it sounds so much <laughs> better now
1: <laughs> Well, he you know he's a musician himself and then also he one of the things that i like about thomas and we are aiming to get him on the show at some point he's a super busy dude
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but he his love of this kind of music is very much rooted in i think collecting it and and being a fan as well you know the guy yeah. oh you can tell occasionally yeah routinely posts shit from his collection and tons and tons and tons of old shit and like, i i posted Uh, the morpheus descends reissue thing that that dark descent did not too long ago a couple years ago at this point and he was like yeah i got all the original ones i was like god damn (laughs) thomas how long you've been in the fucking game doing this shit man (laughs) but like that's got to be encouraging or at least you know exciting for somebody who's on the business end of a a label deal with him to know that like this is a, a pedigree death metal fan and somebody who is a huge fan of this music and a huge collector of it as well
3: yeah it like it comes across like so effortlessly that 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 is the case of thomason you know yeah you can you can just tell he is a death metal and thrash metal library in his head yes absolutely
1: (laughs) and he you know redefining darkness is probably my favorite small label in death metal right now um i love the the hm2 stuff that he focuses on a lot uh Mm -hmm. like that wretched flesh record that sentient horror record that fucking skull crush record from a couple of years ago from like the very end of 2019 so many cool bands that i've found out about through his label um and and a lot of those bands are some of the biggest acts like the first places that i look to sort of in death metal right now um who are some of your current favorites like what are a lot of bands that you're listening to right now that you're just enjoying or that you're pulling inspiration from like what's what's in your headphones these days and you can talk about death metal but talk about other shit too because i'm sure you listen to more than just that
3: Oh yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a pretty eclectic taste, but I'll I'll split it. Ah. So like death metal, I've been listening, you know, them two apparition tracks that I think it's profound law just put out. Have you heard them? I have not. Uh, I think it's called like granular transformations or something, but it's like these two, these two songs on this EP. That's fucking so good. Like, it's just so like murky and like miserable sounding, but it's just like classic death metal. Um, them, all them gut void tracks, uh, that I think I think Dark Descent put them out. Um, but yeah, they're like EP and their single. I've been listening to that so much. And uh, what else? Fumes, that Fumes and Thorn split.
1: Yeah, now that that I am familiar with. It's yeah. uh, love that shit. Love yeah. Thorn, Thorn that that encompassing nothing uh release that Thorn did, I thought was fucking exceptional, and now. Yeah now he's doing vocals um in one of one of our favorite bands fluids Uh, oh yeah yeah, i heard about that cool to see see thorn on the rise
3: yeah definitely
1: i like you say that
3: is is it an album or is it like an ep because it's like eight tracks but it's like super quick isn't it
1: it, yeah and like at this point i don't i don't really know if those rules apply anymore it's like i'm i'm old and i get the feeling that you've been (laughs) in this game long enough too that you probably feel the same way like in my mind a record and an EP are very different things. Yeah. yeah. And, an, and an EP and a demo are very different things. But yeah. it feels it feels now. And and a demo and a promo are very different. <laughs> but it feels now like a lot of those have just sort of melded into the need to produce things a little bit more often to stay relevant. And then also the ability to stay to, to release things and record things more often. Like I look around behind you right now at all the gear that I see uh you you're probably set up to track shit whenever you're in the mood to you know yeah
3: that's what i was doing just before i come on here actually oh nice
2: nice yeah
1: Yeah, so so like i i i guess that old people like me have to sort of re uh renegotiate the way that we understand uh releases because i like and i've always had this sort of rule of thumb about eps don't make it into my top 15 records of the year and like that's gonna have to change because that fucking that unearnment <laughs> ep was fucking amazing it oh, came that came out in
3: 2020 unbelievably heavy i think that's the heaviest thing i've heard in a long time
1: it was yeah and it was just so like that dude that's a, a fucking super multifaceted, talented dude you know he's is he's that also just one
3: guy this,
1: yeah unearn, unearn, unearnment yes it's just one fucking guy
3: as is. no i can i can tell that yeah
1: and he's in uh he's also in abysmalist i don't know if you've heard them Mm -hmm. i think that's 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 two i think it's two guys in that band um but like i when that first unearned you know ep that the the quick thing spiritual penury that he put out uh through maggot stomp i guess in 2019 Mm -hmm. um when that came out i remember thinking like i can't wait to get a full length from this band because in in my mind like an EP is just sort of like a, a stopgap. Like, yeah, there's going to be good shit on it and I'm going to enjoy it, but I never get the, I, I never dive into it the same way that I do a full length record. And like, that's on me. You know what I yeah. mean? I need, I need to re establish the way that I approach releases. So, in, in an effort to do that, like both on this show and on my radio show and, and eventually, hopefully, in the way that I just think about this shit naturally, I'm just trying to say release. The, yeah, recent, yeah. Re- the recent release from so-and-so, yeah. um, because, you know, it, it, to think about being in a band, um, Cel- Celestial Sanctuary is an example, Sarcophagus is a, a, a newer band that I like, um, to sort of, to, to skip over something because it's only a two-song release or a three-song release or whatever, uh, I feel like is, is more dismissive um, than, it, than, I, than I should be and more dismissive than the effort that it takes to put those things together requires. Um, specifically because the landscape of the way that music is created and consumed is just very different now than it was when I grew up and it's my responsibility as a fan of this shit to change the way that I see it so that I can continue to support the bands who make it
3: yeah 100% and that that is a thing I think this sort of like ramping up of like you know just putting out more stuff it's just it's, it's crazy that the pace that bands like put stuff out nowadays I mean like using ourselves as like an example like to go from a two track promo or demo like at the end of 2019 to having like a full length ready to go already, like I think that's a pretty crazy example of like how how quickly you feel like you have to move nowadays. Same with Frozen Soul and Sangui Superbot. Am I saying that right? I mean, yes. they're, the, they're kind of the same. Like it's, you know, they come out with a demo or an EP or whatever it is. And then the next year, it's like we've, there's full lengths about sort of thing.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's also been sort of, I think that the last year, I think that COVID, I think the pandemic is, is like fundamentally changing for me, the way that I look at the creation, the release and sort of the timetable associated mm-hmm. with, with those things when it comes to music, because there's been so many changes, some of which are positive, most of which are, you know, absolutely unavoidably negative. But either way, a lot of people have had a whole lot of time on their hands yeah. um, and a whole lot of misery to go with that, right? And so some yeah. people have been writing music, uh, some people have been recording music, um, and then you've got sort of the other aspect of bands who, before COVID, oh. were poised to do really incredible shit, and, and the industry has sort of taken a shit and died, uh, or what yeah. was left of it, anyway, um, yeah. has sort of fallen apart or ground to a halt, and so trying to anticipate how long it's going to take a band to to put something together between releases, Um, looking at what being in a band looks like for more established acts who, you know, have been able to tour enough and make money enough to quit their jobs. And, you know, now they're all in really shitty situations. Mm. It's, I, I think, I think that the way that we the timetable on which we expect a lot of these things to occur, based on the past, is just gone at this point. Things are yeah. things are going to change like it's irreparable.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as well, like my just to just to draw it back to me again. Yeah, no, please do. My, uh, so I guess like I am living sort of like both of them parallels at the same time. So like my other band, the thrash band that I mentioned, or death thrash, whatever. Um, A sort of like the opposite way to how Celestial Sanctuary operates. So, like, Celestial Sanctuary is like, we're all remote and we can operate that way. That's how it's just always been for us. So, this whole like year has been productive for us. Whereas my other band, that's a very much like we were playing like not last year, but the year before, we played like over 50 shows in a year, and that wasn't even like touring, that was just like odd shows. And that, that band seems to have just like gone off like a cliff edge, which is, you know, I guess that's like two polar opposite things. It's not like we had any success or anything beforehand, but it's just, it's just weird that it's sort of like, it has just come to like a sudden stop all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it makes you really pay attention to that, to the interpersonal dynamic, I think, of the way that you create music. Mm. Um, there are some bands, you know, like Celestial Sanctuary, Fluids is another one. Um, where you can, the creation of this music is relegated entirely uh, to dudes who are coming up with ideas, putting them together, sending them to somebody else, um, and then, you know, composing and constructing these things back and forth online. And then there are those other bands and other kinds of of, of songwriting uh, patterns that are dependent entirely upon a handful of people getting into a room together playing music together, making music together, and then continuing to play that shit for different audiences, you know, Mm. experimenting with pace, experimenting with how, you know, the presence of playing it in front of other people affects the speed of the songs and shit like that. It'll be interesting to see how this kind of forces the creation of music to evolve um, for songwriters who are used to doing it that second way, spending a lot of time in a jam room, um, trying songs out live and seeing how it goes. And I can very much see You know, a thrash band or a death thrash band being affected by that because it's fucking party music, you know, like it's very much exactly it's it's the kind of shit that is entirely catered to a live venue. Yeah,
3: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the nail on the
1: head there. Which is yeah, it's it's it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm. what uh I see you know, I I see the Metallica merch in the background (laughs) and on your head. I'm a huge Metallica fan um what are sort of what sort of grounds you in thrash like are you more of an old school purist or like you down with the pizza party shit like what uh what are some of your influences (laughs) there what you still listen to
3: um so like metallica like are my favorite band like that is that's, that's the band that essentially got me into music um so they're very much like my favorites and then like obviously you get the offshoots of megadeth slayer and testament that's probably my big four um that there's just sort of you know my always go-to but in terms of like modern ones like pizza party thrash i wouldn't go any further than listening to municipal waste um like i love them like they're like i don't know i think i saw them in 2006 and they were just i don't know they had like quite a profound effect on my life like for ages afterwards and just like approaching music in like from this fun way um but you know like it's like with anything good like you want one pizza you can't eat like more than one pizza can you
1: oh <laughs> uh, I can eat more than one pizza <laughs> really yes I certainly can <laughs> Now, but like that that's it's sort right. of to, to see when those bands come into the way that you or to so see like at what stage in your musical evolution bands that are deemed classics kind of come into your life it's interesting to see the way that that affects that those effects kind of ripple out through the way that you appreciate other music so like you you know I don't how, how old are you i'm 33 okay i'm 37 so we we are not we're not too far apart on the on the evolution of things but metallica was also absolutely massive for me um i bought and justice for all at a walmart like yeah fuck yeah man like that (laughs) i was i was a big metallica fan as a kid and because of my age you know the when i was sort of coming of age and and getting to sort of defining my musical tastes and buying my own music with my own money from mowing yards and shit for the first time metallica was in the load and reload era um mm. and so that was my entry to the band and I, like i enjoyed those records and Same to the to this day i still like some of the songs from load and reload <laughs> right
3: i uh, like the production on load is like metallica at their heaviest like it's ridiculous yeah it's
1: it's it sounds it sounds incredible and i feel like a lot of those songs as much as i love a lot of the older shit the more simplistic straightforward thrash shit i feel like the songs on load and reload even though they get a rap (laughs) well i mean like where can you even begin with the bad rap that those songs get but i feel like they you you have a little bit more room to appreciate them over time as you as you yeah. grow with music and as you sort of as your tastes change.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. I always say to people as oh well, like if Alice in Chains put out Load or Reload, like people would rate it. People would love it. Yeah, which is it was yeah, it
1: was it was Metallica through this weird kind of southern rock filter in places like yeah sort of sort of you know obviously I, I think one of the things that I think is shameful about the legacy of those records is how It's so easy to look at them from a commercial standpoint and saying, well, this is just a metal band trying to stay relevant in the grunge age. And -hmm. like, absolutely, when you're Metallica post-Black album and you've got, you know, millions of dollars and hundreds of people whose jobs and all this other shit rely upon you continuing to repeat repeat that commercial success, obviously there's going to be a ton of pressure there, but it's really easy for that to distract from the fact that there's some cool shit on there. Like the Mm. the closing tracks from reload fixer, dude, that is one of the most, I think, I think that's like James Hetfield's most emotional lyrics that he's ever written.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I I love that. I love that shit. Now those, those records were big in my formative years on the other side of that. I didn't get into Testament until like 2015 or 2016. I saw them tour with, uh, with carcass and Slayer Oh and I covered I covered that show for a publication, so I got to sort of be up close to the stage and and uh, see. This was really my first exposure to Testament, apart from being played a couple of classic songs, like you said, by somebody's older brother back in the day when you were a kid.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: I I am such a big fan of newer Testament over yeah. old classic thrash Testament, like. I love, I love the production of those last few records. I think the songwriting is just so fucking catchy. And it's, it was interesting for me to come into it so late in the game, you know, relatively speaking, um, and see how that sort of colored my appreciation of it. Because a lot yeah. of, I, I feel like a lot of Testament fans, whether they're old school or whether they're younger folks who have sort of um, inherited their understanding of Testament from people who were there for the classic parts of it, um it's 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 interesting to gravitate more towards the later shit than it is to say like oh you know new order or whatever is the greatest i metal ever record I, yeah. like there's good songs on there or whatever but like the production on this first cup this first like five testament records is trash I, I, there's <laughs> people listening to this right now who are like fuck this dude <laughs> but like that it's it's interesting to me to look at those at those classic bands um through their different phases and how and how you appreciate those things differently based on sort of when you got into the game
3: yeah i think i'm with you on testament and i think chuck billy is just he's aged like a fine wine that his voice is nuts now
1: it's the weed (laughs) chuck Chuck billy has a signature uh zach do you know about this chuck billy chuck Chuck Billy has a signature um, vaporizer.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Um and I haven't he, used
0: it, but I know I know about yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't,
1: you know, obviously I haven't either. But but I do think it's interesting that like this is where he's thrown his hat into the ring regarding endorsements. It makes um, but, so much sense. Yeah, it's it's called, I think it's called the Big Chief. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I remember I remember reading the specs for it like in a it was like a fucking blabbermouth <laughs> article or something, oh. but it was like biggest oven or something and like hottest <laughs> coils or some, some shit like that and he ended up doing like a reddit ama about the big chief and i think he ended up getting trolled by a lot of dudes who he, he just wasn't aware that that's what was going on and it, there was like this abundance of honesty in the way he was answering these questions about this fucking cannabis use product but i, I don't know I that has nothing to do with any of the shit that we're talking about right <laughs> it now has so much to do but with I, i do th- i do think it's fucking dope i also feel like more singers um you know anybody who may be in this conversation right now can take this to heart or not i feel like more singers should probably carry around a fucking metal glow stick to hold their microphone mm-hmm. on <laughs> like, that one shit play to like me, an
3: air guitar as well yes that <laughs>
1: shit to me is fucking baller and like that that was one of the things that i liked so much about seeing testament live and, and that being really my first in-depth exposure to the band especially like the 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 contrast between fucking carcass who came on before them carcass was so fucking loud and they were so good but it was just like very much classic sort of death metal presentation um jeff walker's got like a fan down by his feet so his hair is like (laughs) glorious fucking mane blowing back the whole time and then testament comes out there and it's these fucking party dudes like running around having fun and chuck billy's like running around singing with his little fucking mic staff turning that motherfucker upside down and playing air guitar with it i was like this is fucking this is so much fun. Yeah, and that that to me is one of the things that I really do enjoy about thrash. Even though I don't listen to a ton of of modern thrash, and even though a lot of a lot of the classic thrash bands, I, I appreciate sort of their their later efforts more than I do a lot of their earlier stuff. Mm. I, I still do really enjoy when you can tell how much fun people are having performing that kind of music.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I love that. And that was, uh, that testament was actually the last show that I saw before lockdown yep. uh over here and so i don't know it's kind of weird being at a gig and anytime anyone knew like coughed you're sort of like yes uh, <laughs> um but yeah i mean seeing testament like skolnick like when he's playing like he just looks like he's having the absolute best time he's got like a grin on his face the whole time which is fucking awesome obviously it is
0: so what's uh what what are the plans for the future of uh Celestial Sanctuary you know upon this uh release to the masses what uh, what do you guys got going on that you can talk about
3: Uh well hopefully some fucking shows like <laughs> Yeah that'd be nice This is the weirdest thing so like because of how things have worked out like we we did that demo and then we booked some shows for 2020 and then obviously they all just fell apart so it's just sure. fucking it's like weird that we've got this album coming out and like, we haven't played a fucking show yet. Like it's so weird, but yeah. Yeah. So hopefully some shows like we've been speaking to like a lot of bands about, I think we, you, I don't know. We've like, <laughs> we've agreed to do like four or five splits throughout the year. Um, so hopefully all of them will happen. Even if only half of them, like that will be fucking sick. Um, but yeah, it's just like focusing on getting this album heard by like as many people as possible.
0: Well, that's our mission too because we feel the world needs to hear it for sure oh, it will be, be a better place when it does
3: <laughs> I, I hope that's so you.
0: <laughs> have you guys got to jam together like i know you said you've recorded the whole album remotely but uh have you guys often got to be able like to rock out in the same room together
3: no not so i mean with with the not way it, that not at all. Are. yeah not so
0: that's crazy like... man it sounds so like organic like you created it? it in the room together yes that's what that's what struck me about that man that's that's pretty impressive
3: yeah i mean the thing is is like because all of us have have played in bands before you know like for years like james our drummer he's in a he's in a black metal band called the infernal sea um so like i think just because we've like played in bands for years like we know Right. i don't know we we all have our own playing styles it's not very like regimented we've all developed like bad habits so to speak sure. so that's probably why it sounds organic but um yeah no I'm, I'm glad it comes across as that i mean i hope it hasn't spoiled it to know that it's all like been done remotely
0: oh no, it well, makes I mean, it better yeah I, like i i
1: i feel like it's i feel like musicians especially musicians you know who are old enough to have played sort of in that more I say old enough, like uh, interestingly enough, a lot of the the people who I interact with through my radio show are like 15, 16 year old kids, which is bizarre, but at the same time, oh, really? like it's really weird to watch the way that they, that this, the COVID and the pandemic have affected them and the way that they appreciate and create music. Um, I do think that it's important for for people like you just um, to, to sort of lean into the, the creation of music remotely like this, because I, I think that I think that validating it is very important because this might be the, what we're stuck with for a while, you know what I mean? And to say, to make it seem like, even though a lot of us, I'm sure a lot of artists would prefer to get back into a jam room together to play live music together and everything like that. I do feel like it's important to sort of legitimize creating things remotely and enjoying them remotely as something that can be done and that can yield positive results. Because like a lot of the music that we already listen to is created that way. And it was created that way before any of this began. Um, I I think that maybe, you know, not necessarily celebrating if it's, if it's not something that you don't want to do, but I, I want everybody who listens to this kind of music, to be able to look at something that is you know a studio project for better or for worse that is created by different people in different places collaboratively to look Mm. at that and say like this is legitimate awesome music this is a cool way to create shit and if it's all that we've got like we should definitely lean into doing the best with it that we can
3: yeah no 100% agree and I think as well like you know I think I think things have been created this way for like a very long time it's just you know before all of this then questions weren't probably weren't really asked as much you know like you know i think bloody kisses i think that was all like recorded like remotely i think i don't know i'm not sure but there were there
1: were there were no real drums on a typo negative record until dead again which i think is a fun fun fact actually no i think you would know that johnny kelly didn't play real drums on a typo negative record until dead again i
3: think I think I think right.
1: Sal did real drums on the first one, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm a big, that, big, that big sounds fan. about right. <laughs> it is to, to to know that these things are sort of created remotely, and that and that it's okay to rely on on studio magic, yeah, for lack of exactly. a better word. Because one of the things that's cool about that is the ubiquity of it at this point. Like a lot of, you know, it's it's cool to know that kids who are. And not just kids, but like, you know, whether we're talking about kids who are living at home in high school who are fucking mowing yards to get money, or, you know, younger adults who are in their early 20s who are maybe working jobs that don't give them a whole lot of security, that even in those positions, it's possible to squirrel away money to buy shit to create and record music now um, at home and have that sound good, you know?
3: Yeah, exactly. It is that that's one thing I'll speak up for is that it is is a lot easier to do and you know just because the technology is there like what's the difference between like doing that and you know like when all the first like death demos were done it was like chuck like like, recording into like a tape player wasn't it and then four track yeah yeah exactly so to me like it's exactly the same it's just like been brought up to spit or brought into the modern day and i think like people should do it more because the world needs more music and the world always needs more death metal
1: (laughs) absolutely dude Drop. What a, what a <laughs> what a killer what a killer spot to get to couldn't couldn't put it any better and as we as we wind down here today, um, being a UK native,
2: mm.
1: being a huge fan of heavy music, we have one very important question that we need to ask you before <laughs> we go today. Zach, would you do the honors?
0: Tom, what is yeah. your favorite Black Sabbath record?
3: oh fuck master
1: of reality <laughs> all right <A> fast response <laughs> yeah a classic response i love it Can't go well, yeah. what's your uh what's your history with that record is that one of your was that one of your gateway gateway records
3: uh mate like black sabbath is basically like first of all like black sabbath is like me and my fiance is like special band <laughs> so to speak Dude, that's like, like what a great connection to have yeah like she she loves Aussie. like so much, but yeah. So, so cool, Black man. Sabbath, I was lucky enough to see Black Sabbath do like their first reunion show in years in Ozfest 2001. So yeah. that's like really showing my age. But yeah, Master of Reality was like I,
1: I saw Ozfest 01 here. Oh, did you? Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, that was a good year. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah. a, it was
0: a good year. I um, was
1: seven. You were what? Seven.
3: Seven.
0: <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I wish i could have been there with you guys i never I got so to see good. sabbath it's one of those things that like haunts me yet i oh, just really? let it go because it's like you know it wasn't meant to be so it's all good nah, exactly you
3: know? um yeah my my connection with that record is like it's essentially like that was the first <clears throat> actual black sabbath album that i bought outside of like owning just the best Ooh. of
1: for Ooh, like yeah, years that's that was god damn dude we we have a very similar Sabbath history like my oh, really? I was introduced I was introduced to Sabbath as as a kid uh, yeah. by my dad and he gave me yeah. a, a CD copy of We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll so like I yeah. I didn't understand the concept of like a collection at that point I I thought that that was just one album you know Yeah. and as I got older I was like wait a second like fucking Sweet Leaf came from <laughs> somewhere else and then you listen yeah. to the rest of that record and you're like holy fuck into the void like yeah, yeah. those that that is it, master of reality is such an amazing record man it's easily i go back and forth with a lot i think and i think a lot of people do this with sabbath because there's so much awesome shit to love but out of the out of the aussie era i do think that master of reality is the one that i'll always come back to um, yeah, definitely
0: yeah
3: and i know i started to, I, i'd never really visited like any other era i mean like obviously i'd listen to like the dio era but there's like these there's a few albums of like these other guys singing isn't there
1: oh I mean, uh, yeah <laughs> we are and we are big fans of the other guys here yeah. on listeners' podcast you but gotta yeah. listen, to born
0: again man that's your homework
1: born, born again yeah born it's got again. ian gillen uh Boom. doing vocals and it's it's the original instrumental trio of black Sabbath ian gillen from deep purple on vocals and that shit is oh, fucking heavy a lot of old school death metal band like jimmy from jungle rot that's his favorite black Sabbath record um, yeah, john from John mckinty from incantation that's his favorite black sabbath record fucking chris barnes from six feet under and cannibal corpse like that's his favorite black sabbath record that it's so heavy man if you hadn't heard it it's like it's crazy uh, go in- yeah go into it with an open <laughs> mind because yeah. it's, an- it's not going to be what you're expecting but it's a heavy fucking record zero yeah. to here holy shit yeah. i'll give that a spin i cool. really
3: i really like uh, tear have you heard that one
1: oh Oh yeah, yeah. Tony, yeah. Martin. Yeah. Tony yeah. Martin man we um Tear <clears throat> T- T- got some love on here recently yeah. uh Greg Burgess from Allegian is a big fan of Tear and that the last track on there Heaven in Black I think is one of the fastest like heavy like drum wise I think it's one of the most impressive Black Sabbath songs and it's not even fucking Bill Ward, It's Cozy Powell oh is it Yeah, is, it, is that yeah. when
3: it was like Tony Iommi was like the only remaining yeah, that was the
1: so that was when Tony Iommi was uh keeping the flame alive with a handful <laughs> of other dudes like fucking Tear, yeah. uh I don't remember who was on bass I, I uh but it was Tony Martin doing vocals Cozy Powell on drums um Geezer was actually on bass for cross purposes that was another another Tony Martin album Black Sabbath the shit other than Dio the shit other than Ozzy is different but it's it's worth checking out if you haven't checked out before and i think you'll (laughs) probably appreciate it even more coming to it this late in the game like kind of like what i was saying about testament earlier you know now that you're you you know you're very much you've established your musical identity you're in your 30s you've been a fan of ozzy sabbath and you've heard dio sabbath for a long time hearing this new shit for the first time at this point in your life might make it even cooler than it would have been if you heard it for the first time when you were a kid
3: okay cool i'm gonna take your word for it i'm gonna listen to that straight after
0: report back (laughs) yeah report back and let us know how it gets monday morning yeah
3: yeah i will do
0: it's one of our missions on this podcast is to bring the tony martin and later eras of sabbath back back up to the reality it needs to be at
1: yeah that's a a good mission we
0: must respect the
1: cat Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We are huge fans of Celestial Sanctuary. We can't wait to see how the new record does. You have got our undying support and you are welcome back on this podcast anytime, man. Thank you so much for your time
3: today. Thank you so much for having me. And obviously, like, I'd love to come back on anytime. Just give me a shout. But yeah, I appreciate, like, you know, being on here and the kind words that you guys are given. And as well, that was a really good Black Sabbath question. (laughs) Hell yeah, (laughs) man.
0: Thanks for the riffs.
3: We couldn't do it without you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so keep keep doing what you're doing, brother. Cheers, we appreciate it. I will you. do. Keep
3: right, on man. lifting.
0: Yes, you good too, care, man. Have a good one.
3: Yeah, and you, man. Bye, bye.
1: Do I need to say it?
0: Do I even need to say it? Please say it. <laughs> what a good dude. What a good dude. What That's... a solid. What a solid dude. Yeah, man. I I knew we were gonna get along with him based on the he was from the UK. Yeah, I mean well
1: like he you know definitely a chill dude and definitely like very musically inspired but also I didn't realize that he I I thought for some reason that they were younger I thought that they were like you know in their early 20s um and so it's really cool to to talk to somebody who's sort of making this kind of music at this point in their in their creative journey
0: yeah that's pretty cool
1: yeah the different kind of styles that he's been a part of or whatever and, and seeing how all of that plays into the creation of of death metal it's really fucking heavy and really catchy really
0: inventive it's uh he's doing it for the right reasons he's a fan he's legit there it's a legit record everybody needs to go buy that from redefining darkness
1: do it it from redefining darkness pay attention to the fucking album art get all those vinyl variants so you can be a fucking dork and then just keep them and enjoy them don't flip them online be a cool
0: person keep it keep it listen to it smoke uh chuck billy's vape and just vibe out to to the riffs on here you'll be enthralled i promise do
1: do do drugs
0: (laughs) do drugs and listen to this everyone oh my god i love it that's it as always my dude
1: great talking to you love you have a good weekend see you tuesday see you tuesday for the big one the big one later bro peace out man my man